At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts. And as always, I am your good friend and host on The Elusive. Tuesday edition of the Boneyard. I promised you guys four Boneyards. Today is your bonus Boneyard. We're going to break down some Ole Miss offensive football. What what the game looks like when the Bulldogs are on defense against this Ole Miss offense. As I told you guys yesterday, this is where I expect the game to be won or lost. Mississippi State's ability or inability to slow down the Ole Miss offense. Now, that has been easier to do in the second half. We touched on that yesterday as well. But the reality of it is this is a very potent offense, and uh, it's all triggered by Matt Corral. And what's interesting, too, a couple years ago, Rich Rodriguez is there. John Rice Plumley is all the rage at, uh, at Ole Miss, and he hadn't done a whole lot. Uh, since Lane Kiffin's been there. And I shared with you guys then, I felt when Kiffin came, that it was one of the best days in Matt Corral's life. And, and I think that has been proven to be correct. Because of his obvious arm down, his ability to tuck it and go, he makes that offense more dynamic. He is more of a dual-threat quarterback. You know, John Rice, an incredible runner, kind of a pedestrian passer. But Matt Corral, a plus runner and an elite arm down. He fits, for sure. And they don't have a lot of guys behind him. I know they'd like to tell you they do. They don't. The guy's a special player. So we're going to talk about that today. One of you guys, too. Uh, we didn't touch on basketball yesterday. And I want to do that you know, right now real quickly before we kind of move on. Mississippi State doing some good things. Doing some good things. And I would say on the men's side, probably living up to expectations. On the women's side, maybe we're a little bit of up, above expectations. Your men's netters, 4-0, with a 66-46 win over Moorhead State, and that's a quality win. Moorhead State picked second in their league. Bulldogs take care of business and never really appeared to be in jeopardy of losing this ball game. Real quickly, you know, I guess halftime, it was, it was tight for a while, but in the second half, the defense, defensive effort really cranked up. You hold them to 18 points there in the second half. You score 37, so stay better on both ends of the floor. Uh, looking at the uh, the Bulldog totals, Iverson Molinar led the way. 32 minutes of action, 7 of 14 from the floor. I'll take that all day. Makes his one free throw. The only free throw attempt of the day for Mississippi State. That's kind of rare, right? 15 points for him. Shaquille Moore. His best game is a Bulldog, 13 points, five steals. How about that? We talk about picking up some defensive intensity also with the block there. D.J. Jeffries, 
the transfer from Memphis, 13 points and uh, 10 rebounds. Nice little double-double action from him. Garrison Brooks in 29 minutes, 5 of 13 from the floor. Knocked down a big three, too. Pulled down six boards, just one personal foul. That's a big thing for us is being able to avoid foul trouble uh, in the post. Don't have a lot of depth there, but we do have some athleticism. One turnover for him, a block, a steal, 11 points. So we had four players in double digits. Uh, Cam Matthews did not attempt a shot from the floor, but pulled down five rebounds, did have the three personal fouls. And here's the thing with him. We don't really need him to be a scoring option. Anything you get out of him is just kind of a bonus because he is such a plus defender. And uh, one steal for him, too. And the one turnover, a couple of assists. But um, Cam Matthews in the starting lineup. And again, you just you don't need him to score an awful lot because he is a defensive stopper for us. Anderson Garcia, nice minutes for him off the bench. 14 minutes, four of five from the floor. Pulls down a couple boards, an assist, and eight points. Xavier Davis rounds out the Bulldogs scoring with uh, six points in 13 minutes of action and a perfect three of three from the floor. So a nice, efficient night for Mississippi State in many respects. Bulldog shot just 39% in the first half and then lit it up in the second half, 60.71% to finish 49.5 or 49.2 uh, for the ballgame. Uh, Three-point land is still kind of a mystery for us. We haven't been exceptionally good from the perimeter. I believe that will come in time. But here's the deal. We're not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Not going to do it. Bulldogs playing well. Uh, and, again, playing up to expectations. Now, we get ready to go to the Bahamas, and that will be – a Thanksgiving night game, and there's a football game going on as well. So maybe you need a DVR that game. That'll be broadcast by the CBS Sports Network. So I would encourage you to find that in advance and maybe set your DVRs uh, for that because you're going to be watching the Egg Bowl. Well, you'll keep up with the score, certainly. And uh, the next thing you know, you'll maybe watch that ball game uh, on Friday, on Black Friday. While your uh, wife is out running up the credit card, uh, you can – Watch a replay of the men's basketball. Now, on the women's side, 4-0 for the ladies. And, again, it hasn't been a real taxing non-conference schedule, with the exception of South Dakota State. That's likely a tournament team. The ladies went on Monday night in blowout fashion, 94-53 over Bethune-Cookman. Rakia Jackson, another big night for her, and we needed to have a big night. And, uh, you know, listen, State – Pretty much dominated this game from start to finish. Seven-point lead after one. And then in the second quarter, just absolutely pull away there. 24-6 quarter for the Bulldogs, which gives them a 45-20 lead. And pretty much coasted from there. 24-12 winners in the third and 25-21 point differential there in the four. But then Cookman, uh, one and four. Again, this team not expected to do much. But here's the thing about winning you know, when you're winning, all of a sudden you start thinking this is part of our culture. Uh, the ladies with five players and double-digit scoring, uh, Jerkelia Jordan, 20 points. Rakia Jackson, 17 points and 11 rebounds. Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting there. 14 points, seven rebounds for Anastasia Hayes. And it's good to see her really kind of elevate the game. Maya Taylor, feels like she's been here forever today. Uh, really nice night on the point. Seven assists, zero turnovers, a block, four steals, and four points. And, again, we don't need her to be a great scoring threat when she's distributing the basketball as well as she is. Uh, Raven Farley, 20, point, 20 minutes and uh, four minutes – excuse me, goodness, four points in 20 minutes of action. Uh, Danae Carter, 13 points. And uh, Aswin Hayes, 11 points. 
So a nice night. Again, pretty efficient from the floor here. Pretty solid throughout the night. State shoots 48% and 34 from three-point line. Free throws, a bit of an adventure, 7 of 18 for us. Got to be better from there. Of course, against more quality competition, uh, those points are going to matter. Attendance for this ball game, 4,558. So pretty good night. Pretty good night for non-conference. And so both men and women undefeated. There's some other people in this state playing basketball. Can't say that. We're undefeated. So, again, excited about what is to come. Now, on the ladies' side, you know, we mentioned the men play Thursday night at 8.30 down in the Bahamas. The ladies will play again also Thursday, Thanksgiving morning. It's an 11 a.m. tip against Dayton. And that's, ironically, in the Daytona Beach, Florida Ocean Center. So that'll be interesting. That game broadcast on Flow Sports. So if you didn't cancel your Flow Sports subscription when the Bulldogs played baseball out in Dallas, right? So if you didn't cancel, you still have the opportunity to watch that. They'll turn around and play Michigan on Saturday. So a nice step up in competition. You know, I think the hope is you go down there and split these games. If you want them to, even better. But I think if you can earn a split, we can probably feel like that's a pretty good um, event for us, the, the Daytona Beach Invitational, and be back in Humphrey Coliseum December 1st on a Wednesday. So that's your basketball update. Uh, listen, and again, I expect Mississippi State men's basketball to make the tournament. Not so sure about the ladies because, um, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts to this thing. Not to say that the men don't have some new faces, but you have a pretty good nucleus of guys that have been there for a year or two. So I don't think the um, transition is quite as difficult. So there you go your men's and women's basketball updates. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. I love them. I was fans of them before they were fans of mine. Glad that we can partner with a great Starkville business like Bulldog Burger Company. Uh, when you're in town, let me encourage you to go by. Make that your game day lunch or dinner stop. Get the spring rolls for your appetizer. Get that great restaurant quality hamburger. Get that chocolate shake to go. Get the whole experience. You'll be glad you did. Three great locations to serve you, of course, the flagship, the University Drive location right here in Starkville. And then the second one, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridge and Flowood area. Getting a lot of great reviews from that. Not a surprise in the least, though. Ian Fuse, the guy that ran the Bulldog Burger location here in Starkville for a long time. So what do they do? What do they do? They, they, they bring the big gun down there to the new place. So you're going to get quality service. You're going to get quality food at a quality price. I've said it more times than not. The thing, my biggest takeaway from Bulldog Burger Company is always how substantial the portions are. You get great food, a great price, and a great portion. You get more than your money's worth when you go to Bulldog Burger Company. While many people in the industry are cutting back on you, not these guys. Not at all. You're going to get more than you pay for every time you go to Bulldog Burger Company. Go check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, before we get into kind of breaking down the Ole Miss offense, what happens when Ole Miss is on the field. I wanted to uh, look at some of these uh, press conference things. I transcribed the Lane Kiffin press conference. That actually happened prior to Mike Leach's press conference. So uh, originally what happens with Leach on most Mondays, it is like a 2.30 to 3 o'clock deal. They pushed it back and then ultimately pushed practice back a little bit more. So we got Leach kind of post-practice. So Kiffin went before. And so – no fiery rhetoric from Kiffin, none whatsoever. 
and, and you know, I'm not surprised by that in many respects. You know, I think in some ways they've kind of ramped, uh, you know, that kind of stuff down. But here are the things that Lane Kiffin said. If you didn't read them, you can, if you didn't know them, if you want to read them, and, you've, and maybe you lose track of me here, you can go to jeanspage.com. They're out there. We have a very good opponent coming up and a hard place to play. It's very loud. It's a full place. It makes you have a lot of challenges on offense. That's nice to hear. I don't know that I believe it. I mean, I, I know that it's true. I don't know that they believe it, though. It's tough to play in a place like that in the SEC. It's the best passing offense in the country and one of the best rush defenses in the country also that gives you a lot of problems. It's very multiple. They have a lot of really long, strong players on defense. They've done a phenomenal job recruiting, too. Somebody should put that on a poster somewhere. Lane Kiffin say Mississippi State's done a phenomenal job recruiting, too. And maybe some of our fans will adopt that, too. You know, it's like sometimes when an Ole Miss person says that it carries a little more credibility for some reason. Now he said that Mike Leach is the best offensive mind in the country and that now we've done a phenomenal job of recruiting. So, uh, when, and so one of the questions, I believe it was Nick Suss from the Clarion Ledger, I think, that made the comment about, you know, Leach has been running the air raid forever. And so there's not a lot of new innovation offensively outside of the RPO. And so things go in cycles, right? I mean, it's like everybody was running kind of the, uh, you, know, you know, the zone read for a while, you know, the op- an option-style offense. You know, Urban Meyer really brought some innovation to the game when he was out at Bowling Green and then at Utah, which is what ultimately got him a job at Florida. And then in year two, you know, he wins a national championship, uh, running kind of a spread option-style offense. And, of course, you get Tim Tebow, and everything gets better when you've got a guy that caliber, one of the best college football players of our lifetime. But he just kind of asked you, you know, Leach has just kind of run the same thing forever and a day. Now, I don't know that that's completely accurate, after spending some time with Leach and the, and the staff on Wednesday, I think it's pretty obvious that they're constantly tweaking based on how teams are attacking them defensively. But Kiffin does a good job here, basically kind of tipping the cap to Mike Leach. It's really amazing, and it kind of goes against what you would think. I think there was a thought out there amongst a lot of people, including coaches, that the SEC had kind of figured it out last year. They had slowed them down in parts of the year. Obviously, that wasn't the case because they're right back to where they started the season ago uh, in that LSU game leading the country in passing offense. It really is amazing. You wouldn't think you'd be able to be so simple in what you do and it continue to work. So I don't take that as a shot. I think that is a genuine compliment from, uh, from Lane Kiffin. So he was also asked, and I don't know who it was that asked it, that said, hey, what has changed with this Bulldog offense? And we've talked about it on the show before. It's not that anything has really changed. It's just that everybody, as Mike Leach will say, you know, everybody around uh, Will Rogers has gotten better. Will has gotten better, too. Will has gotten a lot more comfortable, and he has matured and grown as a quarterback, and we're seeing the benefits of that now. And so Kiffin says, I don't know them that well. I don't know the order of the games and all that. I just know that the quarterback has played really well. The receivers started making a ton of plays. For whatever reason, they seem to start slow at times all the way back to the Louisiana Tech game. They've had these unbelievable comebacks. They had another one against Auburn. It really has been amazing. And then he was finally asked about, you know, about he and Leach maybe making the rivalry a softer, gentler thing. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, I don't agree with any of that. I know people say those things because maybe the fans aren't quite on edge like we were. You know, that's the thing. When Dan Mullen was here, the Ole Miss fans hated Dan Mullen. When Hugh Freeze was at Ole Miss, most Mississippi State people that had a brain hated Hugh Freeze. 
And so, and, and you know, here's the thing, too. A lot of it had to do with winning. You know, Ole Miss hadn't had a winning season until since this year, since 2015. So it's like, hey, we're winning. What, what is there to be upset about? You know, if they were three and eight or three and nine getting ready to play us, they would hate Mike Leach and vice versa. You know, it, it's like you look, you think about your team first. And it's like, hey, listen, if we're doing poorly and Ole Miss is doing better because there's always going to be those natural comparisons. You know, it would make you unhappy. You're like, oh, we made, we hired the wrong guy. Cohen needs to be fired. You know, what are we doing? The game is past Mike Leach, Bob, but we're winning. And we've won some games we weren't expecting to win. So, like, we're pretty happy on this side of the aisle, too. So, I don't think it has anything to do with the coaches as far as how they've handled the rivalry. I think it's how they've handled their business that has maybe turned the pressure down on the teapot just a little bit. So, they talked about the rivalry being uh, toxic. And Kiffin says, I don't, I, I don't think I knew the, the tox, and I always stum- struggle this word, toxicity of the rivalry, as you refer to it. I'd, I'd heard about it here or there. There was a recruiting issue that time with a kid and all that, and so that kind of got glazed over, right? And he didn't say it. I think that goes back to the Jerry and Jones thing. That's what I believe. Maybe we were brought here to bring a state together and get you guys to get along. It is football, you know. You really shouldn't hate people because they went to a certain school. And, and this is my comments about that. I don't hate anybody uh, because of the school they go to. I, I don't. I don't really hate anybody. There's a lot of people I dislike a lot. But it's got really nothing to do with what school they went to. It's, it's really about how they act and behave and how they treat me, right? Because I got some people in my, uh, in my family, mainly in-laws, that are great people that cheer for Ole Miss. I don't think any less of them. I mean, I, I mean, I, obviously, I, I cheer against them, and I kind of, you know, kind of goad them a little bit when uh, when things aren't so good. But but the reality of it is, it's not about where they went to school. It's just kind of how how people behave. I like Leach. I've always liked him. He's funny. He's done a great job wherever he's been. That's true. I think it's amazing that you can really not evolve. Usually, if you don't evolve and keep up with the game, you're fired and, and you get passed by. People aren't huddling and running the I-formation football anymore. Somehow, it came out with something a long time ago that keeps working. And those are Lane Kiffin's comments. And there was no injury update. Nobody asked him about the coaching rumors that I saw. I mean, there, there may have been some things. I didn't attend the press conference by any stretch, but uh, wouldn't that be fun? Um, but I didn't see any que- hear or see any questions about the rumors about the jobs. Now, here is what I've told talking to a few people uh, in agent circles. I have not been as in tune to that this go around during the silly season because you know Mississippi State is not a part of that. And so it's like, why would I go get on the phone and go run down all these rumors? But I do talk to people from time to time. And, and there were a lot of people in Gainesville that, that I have known for many years that have covered the Florida Gators. Bob Redmond is a longtime friend of mine. We call him Hollywood. Love Bob to death, man. I've known Bob, man, Bob and I covered some uh, national level all-star games together and we were both with scout.com and uh, just think the world of Bob. And Bob and I talked, you know, about midway through the year and he goes, hey, man, do you think you guys in Starville will take Dan Mullen back? I said, man, is it really that bad? He goes, man, it's awful. It's awful. It's awful. And it's not just message board posters. You know, he said it's just the temperature in the room is really, really unhealthy. And so I thought, there's no way they fired Dan this year. There's no way. No way. Not one year removed from winning the SEC East. 
And then things kind of began to, to, you know, deteriorate. And then you've got, you know, Scott Strickland on his uh, on his Zoom call yesterday saying, hey, you got to take care of the little things, too. I don't want to get into all of that. But, but he did. I mean, you know, Scooter, you kind of opened the door there. But it's almost kind of surreal. I mean, you know, Dan Mullen, that's the thing. We all knew at some point he was going to leave us. And, and, again, I go back to this. He was leaving us for either Tennessee or Florida. He was leaving after the 2017 season. There's no doubt about it. He was not going to be here. But it's weird to think that a guy can go to three New Year's Six Bowl games and less than a year later, he's fired. It's just weird. And it's really kind of a microcosm of the society in which we live in. We talk all the time about what's a what have you done for me lately league. That's probably true. I don't think this is going to boil down to wins and losses, though. I think it's just one of those things, you know, with Dan Mullen, you know, you can kind of take him in small doses unless he's winning. When he's winning, you can kind of overlook some of that stuff. You know, I go back to that 2016 season when he was here. You know, Dan in 14 and 15, you know, Dan was in his element. You know, State was winning big. You had Doug Prescott, high expectations. Nick wins the job in 16, and Dan made a huge mistake kind of letting the quarterback competition leak into that South Alabama game. South Alabama game, it cost us a football game. It did. Then you had the quarterback controversy among the fan base, and of course, and Nick was the guy. He was. But when things were going poorly, you know, Dan, after, post, after uh, Monday press conferences, you know, the cameras are off. He kind of hung out there and visited with us for a little while. Talked some shop, talked about football, talked about Tim Tebow, talked about some nuance of the offense, and he had never really done that. So I got the sense that he was really trying. It's like when, you know, when there is times of trouble, you need some friends in the media. And it wasn't just like he pulled like maybe me, me and Dave Murray aside. He's talking to everybody. He's talking to Mike Bonner. He's talking to Logan Lowry. He's talking to all of us. And he's making himself very available. And I really thought in many respects Dan Mullen showed some humility during that season. And, of course, 17 picks up. And that was, of course, his final opportunity to get out of here, I think. If, if he didn't get out then, he's probably with us for a while. Uh, but, I don't, I, again, and I've had people that have reached out to me, people that, that worked in the SEAL complex this week that are, you know, have varying opinions about Dan Mullen getting fired at Florida. But almost to a person, they have said, I'll never forgive that guy for how he handled the 17 Egg Bowl. I'll never forgive that guy how he basically sold out our kids. Knowing he he took the field, knowing he was going to take another job, and just kind of phoned it in. Now, that's not me and you saying it. That's people that lived it. That's people that was in the building. And I had one former Mississippi State coach tell me they discussed it openly and I shared that on the show back when it all happened, that during the week of Egg Bowl practices, that the coaches, Billy Gonzalez and others, are out there speaking openly about them going to Tennessee, about the prospect of them taking the job at Tennessee in full view and earshot of our players. So you don't think that made an impact? Of course it did. Of course it did. But I still thought Dan would go to Florida and do well. I did. It's Florida. And Dan has been there before, so he knows what it takes to make the machine work. I think in the end of the day, Dan did himself in. A lot of discussion that Dan lost the locker room. And maybe that's why you dance after Samford, trying to win those guys back. 
you and I both know when he fired John Havasey and Todd Grantham. I mean, all that is a self-preservation move. Never thought in a million years he would fire John Havasey. And I understand it didn't go well. And probably nor should it. You, know, you, you want to scapegoat those guys. Greg Knox, now your interim coach. Greg Knox, a chance to go 3-0 and in his head coaching career. Of course, Greg was our coach in 2017 when we beat Lamar Jackson and Louisville in, in the Gator Bowl. A ball game nobody gave us a chance to win. But our kids went down there with a bunch of GAs as their coaches, and they won a ball game against a Heisman Trophy winner. One of the better performances we've had in a bowl game, Mark McLaurin, three picks in the game. Pretty exciting stuff, man. But the reality of the whole thing, you know, with Dan is like, you begin to think, is, is it real? I mean, when he left us, it was like we had some lead time. You know, like the week before, we were hearing from people in agent circles that Dan was probably going to take another job and that he had already informed Mississippi State's John Cohen and Mark Keenum that, hey, I'm not going to sign this extension because I'm probably going to take another job. So he wanted to give them some advance notice. And you know what? Thanks for that, Dan. That's one class thing he did. At least he told us and then just leave us at the altar. All of a sudden, we go lose the egg ball, lose our quarterback, and next thing you know, hey, guys, I'm leaving. Best of luck to you. So at least he gave us a little lead time. But, you know, talking among you know, the agent circles, you know, there, there is some considerable interest in Lane Kiffin. And I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. But I'm hearing that you know, there is some significant interest from Lane Kiffin to get out of Oxford. And I don't know that that's necessarily a shot at Ole Miss or Oxford. I think it's just, hey, you know, I want to go coach a blue blood program. You know, he's been at Tennessee, he's been at USC, and, and this is you know, this is not egg ball rhetoric here. Ole Miss is not the job those schools are. They're just not. They don't have the tradition. They don't have the resources. They just don't. And so there's been a lot of discussion about Lane Kiffin possibly going to one of the Florida schools. Of course, Miami's not open yet. Many of the are still gainfully employed. But there have been some people that have talked privately that said, hey, Miami's talking. That's again, shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. We all see it. You know, when you, you fire your AD who just gave your head coach a vote of confidence and now he's fired, a new guy's coming in, the new guy's going to want to start fresh. That's just how life works. You want to let your, ID hire, your AD hire his own coach. So Miami could come open. Kiffin still has his place down there in Boca. And I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, they thought it was a weird fit from the beginning. Because Kiffin's a beach guy. Kiffin's a guy that wants to be out on the boat, out on the water. He loves that kind of stuff. And so we'll see what happens. But, you know, these rumors that are out there are, you know, there's some smoke to that. Does that mean that Lane Kiffin's going to leave? I, I don't know. I, I've said before I thought Lane Kiffin would be there until they fired him whether that be two years, 10 years, whatever. I thought Lane would probably stay. But I'm just kind of told personally, as far as a lifestyle-wise, you know, this is a guy that really likes to be able to get out and kind of enjoy being on the outside and being on the water and that kind of stuff. You can't do that. I mean, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's the lake up there, you know, <laughs> up there, Salas Lake or whatever? I mean, it's just, you know, it's not the same. You know, the Hugh Freezes of the world love going up there and fishing. You know, Lane Kiffin wants to be on the salt water. You know what? And to each their own. But there is some significant interest, and there probably should be. I mean, look, Lane Kiffin in, in year two has got Ole Miss, you know, on knocking on the door of a New Year's Six bowl game. So, you know, you give the devil his due. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo 
get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, so let's look at some of these Mike Leach comments, too. I know you guys are interested in that stuff. Um, and Mike, I, I thought Mike was good tonight. I think Mike seems to be in a really good mood lately. That's one thing that I'll say. You know, I thought Joe at times was a little awkward. You know, it's like, I don't know if you remember Joe. Joe was a big hulk of a man. And he was very intimidating to some people, you know, standing behind that podium. So the next thing I know, they got him sitting behind a table, I guess, to make him look a little more approachable. I don't know that it made a difference. Uh, But, you know, I like Joe Moorhead a lot. And I am really cheering for him and hoping that he gets, you know, a head coaching position somewhere this year. I think, you know, the, the carousel could stop favorably for one Joe Moorhead. Then good job at Oregon. He has, and I, and I hope he's learned from this experience at Mississippi State and will be a very successful head coach in college football. I, I, I genuinely hope that for him. 
All right, so I asked Mike Leach hey, about preparations for this week. What's the last 48 hours or so been like? And Mike's like, it's been very busy, up late last night, long meetings today, had a good practice today. We bumped it a little later today to give us a little more time. Um, it's interesting, too, kind of in contrast, Lane Kiffin says this is their only practice of the week. Now, I'm sure they're going to have, you know, some walkthroughs and things like that, probably not a full practice. But, you know, he looked a little exasperated. You know, it's like even after the ball game on Saturday, he's like, you know, Mississippi State's had a six-hour head start on us. And then he's kind of lamenting today. It's their only practice. We just don't have time. It's not a great situation. I, I get the sense that Lane Kiffin's not real crazy about the Egg Bowl being on Thanksgiving. And I think, you know, when you, then you have to play four quarters against Vanderbilt, you know, it kind of throws a wrench in your plans to rest guys. And so uh, that's just kind of the reality of that whole situation. So, you know, we've got some lead time on them. Does that matter come game day? I hope so. I hope it does. I'm going to skip some of these questions about Lane. Yeah, because I'll be honest with you, all this, I think some of this is kind of contrived. You know, people like want to write stories about, oh, a friendly, friendly gentler egg bowl, you know, whatever. Whatever. I think that's just low-hanging fruit. So he asked Leach about, I guess it was um, Chrissy uh, that asked about, what Lane does offensively. Uh, Corral's a key to it. He figures out who to deal the ball to. He throws it well, hands it off, runs it himself. It'll be exciting to see what he does in the NFL. And all that's true. This is a very QB-centric offense. And you can say, Steve, well, they all are. Not necessarily. There are a lot of games out there where you need a game manager. That's not the case with Lane Kiffin. You need a playmaker at quarterback to make the Kiffin offense work. So, you know, I mentioned, I asked Mike about, you know, what's it like being around Mississippi State people in regards to the rivalry. He didn't fully answer the question, but he still gave a pretty good answer. Here in town, you get to see a lot of people, whether it's a practice in town or for a game. Everybody is fantastic. It's a very spirited place, very excited about Mississippi State. It's a good crew to be a part of, a lot of good people. That's all really nice. But I kind of get the feeling, too, that Mike just didn't want to say anything, you know, about the rivalry and things like that. And, I think it was Steph that it, Steph or Andy one that asked about how what's the Egg Bowl compared like to other rivalries, and they mentioned the Apple Cup. And he goes, hey, it's similar, probably a little closer to what it was like out at Texas Tech and A&M. It's just good to be in the stands when you're not looking at paper cutouts. Talking, remember last year when they had all the, uh, you know, the fans had like the cardboard cutouts in the stands with their picture on them, right? <laughs> a bunch of those last year. It's a lot more exciting that way. Yeah, the fans are here. It's much better. And here's the Chrissy's question, too, about um, a lot of people suggesting that Leach and Kevin run similar offenses. And I thought Chrissy's question was a good one because it kind of gives Leach a chance to kind of explain some of the differences. He's well, they're quite a bit different. They're kind of an RPO offense with the run pass option. And the quarterback keeps it some. Both of us have some tempo going. Both are trying to attack the field. Quarterbacks are key to both. And let me give you a little side here, a little inside information. Mississippi State's been practicing against tempo now for about 10 days. We worked on some of that last week. We're getting ready for Tennessee State. We had the defense work against some tempo. So it's not like we've just got a couple of days to get it ready. Zach Arnett's crew and them you know, saw the scout team run tempo much of the week last week. I asked about managing players and managing the emotions of it. He said, if you get a good team-driven locker room, everybody should be on the same page, avoid the noise, and just worry about being the best player and the best team we can be. And that's a little coach speak there. But there is some, uh, you know, there is some, some sage wisdom and all that too. You, know, you can't get caught up in all the social media stuff. And all the guys that I interviewed Mississippi State-wise on Saturday, 
I never got the feeling that anybody wanted to say anything inappropriate. And I don't know if they had been coached to do that. You know, of course, uh, Jer- Jerry on Ely made the comment about us living in Stinkville. You know, it's like, I know that fires up people, but it's really silly. I mean, it, it really is. And so I can't imagine that, you know, that, you know you've got the lunatic fringe, old Miss fan, and probably said, oh, yeah, it's great, Stinkville. Let's get church made, you know. Um, but I think most people are probably thinking, you know, this is a pretty even matchup. Let's not give them any extra motivation. So, all right, so what does Ole Miss do best up front defensively, you know, as a talent or scheme? And Leach says it's kind of both. They've got some athletic guys. They'll change the looks on you a little bit. It's more front-driven than blitz-driven. He's right about that. And that's where Sam Williams is a difference maker for them. It's because they can generate pressure a lot of times just bringing the front four. They don't have to bring a fifth guy so they can keep a guy back in coverage. And that's where we got to make them pay. Now, I suspect that they're going to move Sam Williams around a little bit. You know, that's what, that's what Alabama did, right? They put Williams over on Lashley's side, and they kind of ate Scott's lunch a little bit. I don't think you want Sam Williams going up against Charles Cross over and over and over again, even though it's kind of a best versus best situation. I think you look for the matchup that gets Sam Williams to the quarterback as quick as possible. So I think we'll see him go to the right side. Now, the plus about that is that's frontside pressure rather than backside pressure. So Will Rogers should be able to see that coming and hopefully be able to adjust, pick it up, change the protection, and maybe go hot in that situation. Hey, what goes into stopping a quarterback like Matt Corral? Leach, you have to have all the space and gaps accounted for. The simplest way to put it is to have your eyes in the right place. Be real disciplined about where you put your eyes, and don't take yourself out of position when you see something that looks like something else. There is a lot of eye candy with this Ole Miss offense. because, And and here's the thing. When they get the running game going, it opens up the passing game. Because all of a sudden, you know, Jerry Ann Ely and Snoop Connor and those guys are, you know, they're running, they're getting five, six, seven yards, and you start thinking, hey, we need to start bringing more people here. We got to commit more to the run. And next thing you know, your backers are cheating up, and that opens up some passing windows behind them. And Corral is such a good decision maker. He's sitting there riding at the mesh point, looking at your backers, reading those guys. And if they bite, he pulls back and he'll hit that slant behind them. And they work the tight ends pretty good, too. Many of you guys are asking about the weather. And um, so Leach comments on this, and I, I, don't, I don't think it's the issue many of you do. And I think a lot of this is just kind of uh, some Mississippi State fear kind of manifesting in the weather report. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's like, and maybe we don't know how to read the, the weather report. You know, it's showing rain. It's not showing thunderstorms. That could be a, a wide variety of things. And you know what? we still got a couple days. But it went from 40 to 80. And so here's what Leach said. He goes, you know, it's um, – if I can find it, I may have just kind of moved up here. Um, I, I don't mess with the RPO so much. I haven't found that it did. Playing Utah – to about the weather. I hadn't found that the weather played much of a factor. Playing Utah or Colorado, uh, as long as you have good footing, cold weather doesn't really hurt you. They came up with a lot of the concepts at Green Bay, Montana, BYU, and San Francisco. If you've been to Candlestick Park on a cold day, that's a mess. Some of the passing concepts came from Sid Gilman at Cincinnati. It was in cold weather first. Uh, I, don't, I just don't get the feeling that he's worried about this. He, he basically says if you have good footing, because they're going to have dry footballs. This is not like you know, your neighborhood game in the mud where you play with that same muddy football. They're going to keep those footballs dry. And so you're not going to have, you know, wet footballs just flying through people's arms it's going to be 
drive footballs. And I think sometimes we're so worried about this. We're thinking, oh, anything that goes wrong, oh, my gosh, it's just gonna, we're going to get killed because of this. The guys, as the, the good book tells us, the rain falls on the heads of the just and the unjust alike. They got to play in the same thing we do. And there's a lot more moving parts to the RPO. They got to handle the football a lot more. And our offense, where Rodgers takes a snap and then looks, shoots, fires. Well, you add another step into that when it's an RPO type deal. All of a sudden, you take the snap, you ride, you ride down there to the mesh point. Either you give, you pull, and all of a sudden, you got to pull it. You put it in the running back's belly. You got to pull it back, and you got to make a throw. So there's an extra step in that process. So you know the team that has to handle the football more is traditionally at a disadvantage there. Now. You can line up and run the football. You can line up and run Snoop Connor between the tackles and, and probably make some hay. But the reality of it is I think we're making too much of this because it will impact both teams. And, you know, that's the thing, too, we saw last year against Ole Miss. You know, Matt Corral killed us on a deep ball. That's where it's going to be more impactful with the weather, having to defend those deeper chunk plays. All right, so uh, let's get ready to move on here. You know, it's, there, there's a lot of things out here that uh, – I guess there's one more thing I'll, we'll talk about here is uh, Will Rogers. He made a great comment about Will, just basically about his maturation, his development, and why he's been able to be so successful so early in his career. Leach, his dad's an offensive football coach, so I'm sure he picked up a lot from his dad. He's a real good worker, watches film and studies. The people around him have improved. That's helped make his job easier and elevate. He wasn't afraid to step in and be the leader. It's not like he took a long period to overcome his own nerves and anxiety. He was ready to step in there and play right away. I think he got to know the locker room a lot better. They saw how hard he worked and respected it, saw how much it meant to him, and were quick to follow him. That's pretty high praise from the, uh, from the head man there. All right, time for today's top ten list, brought to you by Blair.com. This is going to be one that's really, really, really spicy. I traded some messages with Blair. Blair got a Stark villain hoodie to wear. Matter of fact, he wore it around the greater Jackson area on Monday. If you're looking for a Stark villain hoodie, you can go to StarkVillains.com, get T-shirts, hoodies, whatever you'd like, in a variety of colors. Blair is cool. Be like Blair. All right, so if you're looking to refinance your mortgage, maybe you ran up some credit card debt. Maybe you kind of got overextended a little bit financially during the quarantine. Maybe your business took a step back. And maybe you're still trying to dig yourself out of that hole. You know what? If you've got some equity in your home, you have an opportunity to consolidate that debt and probably lower your monthly payment. And that's the reason you do it. Not to mention, instead of just throwing that interest away on credit cards or installment loans, a lot of that interest will be tax deductible. So get your money working for you. Get your equity working for you. Visit CloseWithBlair.com. And this is not some subprime lender it's like you set up shop like in an old abandoned shopping center. I mean, this is a reputable mortgage company, Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five mortgage lenders in the industry, and you're dealing with an ace. That's right, Blair Chandler in the top 1% nationally, a guy that's been in the industry 21 years. A lot of people out there working hard for your business. Blair's done it for a long time. The guy's a bulldog through and through. I'm a firm believer in doing business with bulldogs whenever I can. You should be too. Let's keep it in the family when we can right? Blair's phone number, I'm going to give it to you. This just shows you how committed he is to having your business. He's allowed me to give you his personal cell. You can call or text 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And if you mention to Blair that you heard about his ad on the barnyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. 
That's how much you want your business. A lot of fees associated uh, with getting a mortgage closed. He's going to save you a little time and trouble with that. Pay for that appraisal. Again, it's about a $500 value. So close to Blair.com. So I've been thinking about this list for a while. So if we want to do a bonus boneyard, I think we got to do a special top 10 list. So I decided, you know, I have a lot of Ole Miss fans. I do. And they're very, very loyal. They're not like you guys. They see me in a different light. But they're very loyal. They follow me on Twitter. They message me, you know, social media. They come visit Gene's page. They listen to the show. They screenshot things that I put on message boards and Twitter. And they say, oh, I'm going to share this with somebody. Okay, great. All it does is just shows how obsessive you are. So I want to return that. I've got some songs here that uh, I would like to personally dedicate to my Ole Miss fans. How about that? I do have some, uh, some honorable mentions, and I wanted to change this list up a little bit. There are some hits on here. There's some new modern rock stuff. And there's some other stuff that maybe you're not as familiar with, and I want you to be familiar with, because I feel like the greatest gift at times that I can give you outside of knowledge of the Mississippi State Bulldogs is to turn you on to new bands. So one of my favorite bands, and I've met these guys, met these guys out in Little Rock a few years ago, it's a band called Aranda. This is one of our honorable mentions. It's a song called The Enemy. Now, some, I've got, I could probably do a top 10 Aranda list. I love those guys. And I think you will, too, if you give them a chance. They're a Midwestern band. I guess maybe kind of a Southwestern band. Great band. The Enemy from Aranda. That's one of your honorable mentions. Uh, a song called Love the Way You Hate Me from Against All Will. And that's one with a newer singer. There's, a, there's an earlier album that I like even more. But Against All Will... Love the way you hate me. And then there is, do you guys know Ritz? You know, Ritz is uh, part of the strange music family with Tech 9 and Yellow Wolf, the whole group there. So there is a song called LAF, Laugh. I like the remix better. Now, the original version is available on the Next to Nothing Ritz album. That's R-I-T-T-Z, Ritz. Ritz actually uh, playing uh, on some shows right now with Tech 9. But on the remix, you've got, Yellow Wolf is on there too. And so it's, it's only on YouTube. So maybe if you know how to capture that and you can download it to your music library, maybe you should. But those are your honorable mentions. Laugh, L-A-F. All right, so here's your top 10 songs that I would like to dedicate to my loyal Ole Miss fans. My fans, not fans of them necessarily. The ones that love me. The ones that love to kind of keep up with me. What's going on with me. So this is to all of you. And I mean these from my heart. Number 10, we're going back a few years, a band that I saw actually in New Orleans, Louisiana, um, a couple times. Song with Shine Down and Adelita's Way. It's a band called The Sick Puppies, and it's a song called Going Down. Going Down. I like The Sick Puppies, and this is one of their better ones. They got, they got a really, really good bass player, and she's also nice to look at. But the bass line on this song is really, really cool. Number nine, and this is actually a contemporary Christian band. How about that? You didn't expect to hear that today. There's a wide assortment of tunes on the list today. But it's a song called Strike Back from a band called We As Human. Strike Back, We As Human. And that is an absolute banger right there. If you're a rock music fan and you don't know that song, you're, you're probably going to message me and say, Steve, you know what? You just blew my mind. These guys are great. They did another song called Take the Bullets Away with Lacey Sturm, formerly a Flyleaf. 
And uh, she's a Mississippi girl. I don't know if you knew that. She spent some time, her teen years, in, in Mississippi. How about that? Number eight, a classic. And it's been on the top ten list before. It's the game from Motorhead. It's time to play the game. Because it's all about the game and how you play it. Okay, number seven. This has also been on a top ten list before. But it's Enema from Tool. Number seven on the list, Enema from Tool. You know that whole part about fret for your latte and... All that stuff, that, that's for you. He's talking about you. He's not talking about me. He's talking about you. Number six, and this is a deep track from a Shinedown album. It's, a, it's the, an album, so Attention, Attention is the current one. They're actually working on another one now. But we go back to Fight for Survival, which was an album that I listened to a lot when I was uh, writing Flim Flam. It was kind of the soundtrack, I guess, in many respects. But it's a song called It All Adds Up. And when I would be kind of bitter and resentful and uh, felt like I was out here fighting the world by myself, this is a song that I would listen to at times. And I would just kind of grit my teeth and I would drink coffee and I would just hate. It all adds up. Number five, uh, this, there is an a X-rated version of this song, but this is a PG-13 show. So we're going to use the PG-13 version of CeeLo Green's classic, Forget You. How about that? Even though none of you, <laughs> none of you at any point in your life, on the best day, and probably during the best dream of your favorite birthday, have you ever ridden around town with a girl I love? All right, so let's get into the top four. And so this goes back, like I've told you guys before, like if there was like a, if, if Flim Flam is ever a movie, I will push for this song to be on the soundtrack. And this has also been on the top 10 list before, too, but it's Miracle Man from Ozzy. That's right. You know, Miracle Man, Cold Busted, Miracle Man. You get my drift. You know where I'm going with that. Number three, and I'll be honest with you, it's kind of cheesy and corny, but it used to be a tradition for me. I used to play this song. I'd dial it up and play it like an, after we beat Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. I would put this song on, and I would listen to the Black Crows version. It's a great live version of the Black Crows singing this song. I actually heard the Black Crows sing this at Marquis de Lafayette uh, back in 96, I guess. But it's the night they drove old Dixie down from the band. How about that? The night they drove, because Virgil Kane was his name, and he rode on the Danville train. Well, I love that song. I love the band. I could probably do a top ten list of the band. I've had some requests for that. Got a distant cousin, Robbie Robertson. It's in that band. That's right. I can't prove that. I'm just saying that. Number two, we there was a song with a similar title, actually the same title listed in the honorable mentions. I've met this band as well at Rocklahoma a couple years ago, thanks to my good and dear friend Mark. Love the Way You Hate Me from one of the best bands from down under many of you have never heard of. It's Like a Storm. And here's the thing. Here's a little trivia about this song. If you don't know about the didgeridoo, this is probably the only rock song you'll ever hear that has the didgeridoo as an instrument. And I actually heard the singer tell a story about how he broke it during a show, and then he had to like go to Walmart and buy a part and fix it. Can you imagine that? But number one, and we all know this song, and it probably shouldn't be a surprise it's number one, because I hate the rain and sunny weather. It's I hate everything about you by Ugly Kid Joe. I actually could sing this one at karaoke too. I'm not going to sing it for you now because you're not drunk enough. No, I'm kidding. But I hate everything about you, number one. 
while you love me and you're obsessed with me, and deep down there's probably a part of you that wants to date me, it's never going to happen. I could never be unequally yoked with an Ole Miss Rebel. Could never, never happen. Never in a million years. Couldn't do it. So there you go. Top 10 songs dedicated to my Ole Miss fans. So there you go. And listen, it's all in good fun. Well, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm, I'm not. But that's your top 10 list. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out let me know. And tomorrow we're going to do a Thanksgiving edition of top 10 list. And you're probably thinking, what in the world is he talking about? So you going to talk about his favorite desserts? No, I'm not. I'm not. It's going to be interesting. Roy has no idea what I'm going to do with it either. Because I told him, here's what I'm going to do. He's like, there's no way. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's going to be interesting. I'm going to give you the playlist. You'll be able to listen to the show, and you can put on the playlist and listen to it on the way to Thanksgiving dinner. It's going to be great. But if you've got ideas, reach out. Let me know on social media. I'm happy to do them. I have a lot of people that reach out and say, hey, Steve, I'd like to find the list. You guys are doing a good job, though. Many of you, like, you go search the Dogmatic 6-7 Spotify. If you follow Roy on Twitter, he'll take care of you. And then, of course, Izzy Mandelbaum does the Apple Music. But Roy's only been doing this for me for about 13 months. So there were some shows early on that Gordon Griffin put on his Spotify. So, I, so like, you'll go search Roy's and you can't find it, then I'll go find it for you. Eventually, we'll get everything pushed over. Eventually. Maybe that would be a good Christmas project for Roy, right? Roy, you hear, you hear me? That'd be a wonderful Christmas gift. So, but there we are. So there's your top 10 list. Thank you guys so much for your support of that. I have so many people. It's so interesting, too. Like, I would say 99 or maybe 98 people out of 100 told me how much they love a top 10 list. And then every so often, somebody will meet. And they, like, I know that they just want to say, I don't really like it. And that's okay. That's, what, that's why God invented a fast-forward button. I, it doesn't hurt my feelings that you don't like it. it. I mean, it's okay. There are a lot of things in life that I don't like, too. And then I had somebody else tell me, you know, Steve, I just don't always have the time to listen to an hour-and-a-half show. I get that, too. But I've had the overwhelming majority of people like, Steve, I love it. Because sometimes, like, some of my other favorite podcasts, it's like as soon as I get into the show, it's over. And that's not to say anything negative about anybody else because not everybody always maybe has the time or the commitment. I do this three days a week. This four weeks, I can't imagine doing it every day. If I had to do it every day, it'd be much shorter shows. It'd probably be about a half hour. I just think I could do it. Uh, but here we are. Lots to talk about. It's Egg Bowl week. I want you guys to be properly prepared and have your game faces on. All right, let's get into this old Miss offense. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't a Campus Bookmart customer until I moved to Starkville, right? Because I didn't know that it existed. And then all of a sudden, I find out about it. And like, hey, we've got a new sponsor for you. And I go over there and check it out. I'm like, how come I've never been here before? Campus Bookmart's on the backside of campus. It's really easy to get to, too. Like, if you're coming in on 182, you turn. You know where the state trooper section, uh, section is there? The station, if I can ever get it out. You turn there. And you come right on down, you're going to campus, and there it is on your left. It's right there off campus. Very easy to find. Really easy to find. Great selection. And, you know, here's the thing, too. It's service, man. Service means so much to me. That's one thing I've, I've really learned to value. After, you know, we've had this return to work, and a lot of Americans are not back at work. And so even as well-intended as some people will be, but they're short-staffed, and so they're not able to give you the quality of service that you deserve. Well, that's just not the case at Campus Bookmark. They're going to give you good service. And I know this from talking to Ms. Kathy Brown, like if she ever reads or hears anything negative about 
a customer experience at Campus Bookmark, she takes it personally. She gets personally involved. It's not, well, it's just, oh, it's okay. No. I've had times that she sits, she'll send me a screenshot. Hey, do you know this person? Do you know this person? No, I don't. I'd like to know what happened. She wants to get it resolved for you. These people care about your business. If you can't make it to town and see their smiling faces, and you deserve to do that, but if you can't, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, this Ole Miss offense, very, very, very talented. They've been beat up. But these guys are good, man. They are. And, uh, you know, it's like all year long we can say, ah, oh, yeah, you know, you know, you don't want to give Ole Miss any credit. You know, well, let's be honest with ourselves. I mean, this, this is a group that has been really good. And maybe not as good as they were earlier in the year. But, um, you know, Matt Corral, third in the SEC in passing with 3,100 yards. Your leader, Will Rogers, 4,113. So he leads by 1,000 yards. 1,013 yards going into the final game. I mean, it's, I mean, this could be – we talk about the Connolly Trophy. And, and I don't want to chase this too long, too, but I have read with great interest some people that have said, hey, you know, Will, Will Rogers is a system quarterback. So what you're saying is based on your logic that a Mississippi State quarterback can never win the Connolly as long as Mike Leach is our coach. That's what you're saying. So let's just go ahead and eliminate that, you know, what about all those years when everybody ran the football and you featured your offense around your running back? Was that not a systems running back? Right? You know, Charles Cross might be the best player pound for pound in the state this year. Charles Cross probably going to be drafted ahead of uh, Matt Corral. But Will Rogers is the nominee for Mississippi State. And again, he leads Matt Corral by 1,113 yards. They played the same number of games. 1,113, and we didn't get to play North Alabama. All right, so getting a little bit deeper into this, uh, the rushing yards, and this is where they're going to get us in some respects, statistically speaking anyway. Uh, Jerry and Ely, 10th in the SEC, 643 yards rushing, and he missed some time. He missed some time. So let's you know, take his comments out of the equation. The guy has played pretty well. He had a long run of 70. It's five rushing touchdowns. And you don't have to get too far down the list to find the next rebel rushing attack guy. It's Snoop Connor, who worries me more than Jerry and Ely does because he can get those tough yards in the middle. And so, like, if we have backers, like, you know, we're going to put – we're going to run our scheme. You know, we're going to run, you know, we're going to stack three and then we're going to have five DBs on the field. And you've got a power run like Snoop Connor, And so – if they can block up front, Snoop is automatically two or three yards down the field. And this is a guy that's really kind of a one-cut runner, and he runs with such power and conviction. you got to get him stopped before, you get, before he gets going because this is a guy, as big and strong as he is, he's not the fastest guy, but he picks him up and puts him down pretty well. And a very physical guy that can grade on you. So he, like, he and Ely really complement each other really well. But Snoop scares me a little bit. He really does. 561 yards on the year uh, and 11 rushing touchdowns. That's pretty impressive, too. Matt Corral, 14th in the SEC in rushing, 552 yards and 10 rushing touchdowns, most of those coming you know, earlier in the year. And so you know, they're running basically at all three facets. And then you get a little deeper, guys. 
just when you thought it was safe to move on. You got Henry Parrish, 537 yards. So you got four guys that have rushed for over 500 yards. So you can't really key. It's not like you've got situational backs. They all kind of do a lot of the same things. So, you know, good effort. They don't have a, quote, feature back. They've got kind of a three-headed monster out there. Looking at receiving, they have had some guys beat up this year, which is interesting. I mean, you know, you would think as much as they run the football, you wouldn't have uh, you know, as much injury. But that's, that's life and times in the Southeastern Conference, right? Now, this group, not necessarily as explosive as some of the groups they've had. And that's not to say they're not good. They are. Dontario Drummond has been banged up a little bit, had a hamstring issue, had to work through. Currently seventh in the SEC with 786 yards receiving. Pretty good numbers, right? Is that eight, eight touchdowns receiving? You get a little deeper here, and you do have to go a little ways after this. Braylon Sanders, 21st in the league with 486 yards, three touchdowns to his credit. And then after that, the drop-off is pretty significant. Uh, Jack Core Pearson's a guy that's really kind of come on as of late, former walk-on for them. Hadn't found the end zone yet, uh, but very interesting. You see that guy, and he doesn't look impressive physically. Like, if you looked at his stature, he's a, sh- a shorter guy. But he plays bigger than he's listed, 389 yards, and he kind of rose to prominence when they had some guys banged up. Of course, John Mingo is a guy they thought was gone for the year, and uh, he is trying to make, you know, come back and and be ready to play uh, in this ballgame. But uh, John Mingo, of course, teammates with uh, Will Rogers. And so let's break down some things. Let's get a little more technical and kind of get into these numbers a little bit more, looking at the – some more of these team things. So Ole Miss averaging 36.36 points per game and allowing 25.36. Now, a lot of that is skewed by some of those scores earlier in the year. And again, it's not to say that Ole Miss has not been a good offensive team issue. They have, but they were a much better team offensively early in the year when they had those guys healthy. Now, their hope is, is like, well, hey, guys are starting to get back. They're still not 100%. And many of those guys didn't get to practice much last week. And then you're not going to practice a lot this week because it's a shorter week. And so not a lot of time to kind of get the timing down. And things just kind of seemed off against Vanderbilt. And maybe they were looking ahead to us. I don't know. Maybe they're overlooking Vanderbilt. They've got 140 yards, excuse me, 140 first downs on the ground and 137 passing. So very balanced in that respect. 295 first downs, allowed 283. And again, defense is better. We're going to talk more about them tomorrow. Uh, But still not great. As a team, they have rushed for 2,821 yards gross and then lost, you know, 284. So you can kind of do the math from there, 2,537 net, averaging 230 rushing yards a game. They have not played a lot of defenses as salty as this one when it's come to rushing. We have held just about everybody, if I'm not mistaken, under their, their average as well we should. Passing, and it's mainly been the Matt Corral show, as you guys know, 361 attempts, 243 completions, and just three interceptions. One of those last week against Vanderbilt, and it was a pretty bad read. But Corral's done a much better job taking care of the football. That's the thing, too, early in his career, is like sometimes that big arm guy, you know, the guy that's got the Cadillac of an arm, sometimes he tries to park it in some places he doesn't have room. They've done a much better job with him. And I think if Rich Rod had stayed, Matt Corral is probably somewhere else. But Lane Kiffin, give those guys credit. They've done a good job 
kind of getting the most out of him. And it's probably going to be a life-changing decision, the fact that, that Lane Kiffin came to Ole Miss uh, for Matt Corral. Just three interceptions, and that is a really impressive number. I mean, it, that is considered how much they throw it. Was that you know? It's basically less than one interception per hundred passing attempts. That's really really impressive. All right, average depth of target eight point seven four yards. So and it's like you know you think they're throwing hail marys all the time. They're really not. They're checking some things down too. You become more acutely aware of it when it's your team. Averaging two hundred and eighty six yards per game through the air. 3,155 yards passing this year. It's good numbers. Total yards, total offense, 5,692 and scored 51 touchdowns, getting 517 yards per game. Interesting. Uh, return game, not especially great, though. That's interesting, too. They're actually allowing more return yards than they're generating. I don't know that I expected to see that. It's not much. It's basically a wash. But considering the fact that, you know, you, you are an SEC team and you're not always playing SEC teams, you think at some point those numbers would be skewed a little bit. So not a lot of playmaking in the return game. Looking at their, uh, their kicking stuff here, which is interesting as well. They've had some good kickers at Ole Miss the last few years. I, I won't say it. You guys are thinking it. You know it. 2018 was a little different, right? All right, so... You know, looking at these um, field goal attempts, 14 of 17. Hadn't been good for us. No, McCord's been better as of late. But usually when Ole Miss goes out and attempts a field goal, they generally make it. Usually they do. All right, so time of possession. That's, that's not the stat that it once was because Ole Miss scores so fast. Opponents, 33 minutes of possession collectively. Ole Miss just 26. But, you know, when you're going down and scoring four and five plays, you're getting chunk plays and running tempo, it's a much different deal. A much, much, much different deal. Looking at these um, kick returns, too, because I expect I expect Tulu to be back. Tulu practiced some last week, no contact jersey. I do expect him to be back uh, this week. It'll be interesting. We'll see how things progress. Now, let's take a look back at this um, – Look at some of this game-by-game comparison. I think it's important to look at this stuff and kind of understand kind of how things go. There's just so much to this. There's, 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 that's, there's a wealth of information available to us these days. You know, used to, you'd have to do all this stuff by hand yourself. You have to go through all the box scores and put this stuff together. It, the digital age in which we live is very information-friendly. All right, so you, you go back to that Louisville game early in the year, and Louisville was awful. Now, we need them to be Kentucky. We do. We'd love for that to happen. Go Cards. But Ole Miss got after them pretty good, 43-24. And it just, you know, they just simply couldn't run the football. And they became very one-dimensional. And that's when a lot of people said, hey, this, this Ole Miss defense is a lot better. I think it was a combination of Ole Miss being a little bit better and then Louisville being worse offensively. They've gotten better as the seasons went along. But, um, you know, a big early win early in the year, Austin P. 54-17 game. You know, just there was nothing about this game at all that you looked at and said, okay, that you could tell anything about Ole Miss, kind of like with us last week against Tennessee State. You can't make in any type of evaluation and any objective assessment based on playing an FCS team. You just can't, unless you lose or you play close. Uh, 
A lot of people thought Tulane may give Ole Miss a game. They didn't. They blow those guys out 61-21. I think it might have been a game for about 30 seconds. Ole Miss just really, really, really exploded on them. So they get into the Alabama game, and everybody's feeling like, hey, this is the year. I didn't see it. You guys didn't see it either. Maybe we worried about it a little bit, but we didn't see it. Alabama was ahead with 35 to nothing in this ballgame. And then they score a couple touchdowns late, and it's like, oh, they kind of figured it out. Yeah, just like Tennessee State figured it out against our third-team defense last week. Didn't figure anything out. Alabama dominated the game. That's the truth. You can say what you want to to make yourself feel better. But, again, can you fairly judge Ole Miss against Alabama? You know, you'd say, well, they beat them in 14-15. Guys, that's, that's five and six years ago. Six and seven years ago, excuse me. It's a long time ago. The Arkansas game, I thought this was a big one here because I thought Barry Odom's defense would play them much better. Now, granted, they did a good job last year of confusing Matt Corral, and you know as well as I do that Corral probably had that game circled. I said, you know what, I I gave some some balls away in that game. I got to find a way to get them back. They put up 52 points. Arkansas still won a chance to win it, liked the decision to go for two, did not like the decision on the play call, didn't even give Burks a real chance. Probably should have run football. But either way, Ole Miss makes a play to win. And, and maybe that's not fair to say. Ole Miss survived this because Arkansas couldn't make the play. But to give Ole Miss some credit, they forced the early throw. They got some pressure in the Cajun Jefferson's face, forced the throw, and they win the game. The next week, they go to Knoxville. That's the, uh, the, that's the, uh, the golf ball game. The, and, it, again, and I don't know that we ever have any Tennessee fans listening – that's really embarrassing for your program. And I know that it happened to Ole Miss, and people say, oh, it couldn't happen to a nicer bunch. We can't have that, guys. I don't care who the team is. We can't have people out here throwing French's mustard at each other. We can't have somebody throwing a golf ball. What, what if the golf ball would have hit Lane Kiffin in the head? I mean, honestly, what if it hits him in the face? It's like you throw it, and it bounces off his leg, and then people are like, oh, it's kind of funny. I mean, is that what we want in the SEC? When we go up there, we want people throwing batteries. We know we don't want that. And the people say, well, the SEC is overreacting. I don't think so. I think we've, you've got to take a strong stance there. And even though Ole Miss is involved, there's no way you can support that kind of behavior. But, again, Ole Miss finds a way to win. Tennessee, of course, had a scoop and score taken away from them, and I still think that was an awful call. I don't care what anybody says. You'll never talk me out of it. For, there was no forward progress. When a guy's sacked in the backfield, there's no forward progress. He's just trying to protect the football there. He's not trying to move forward. The ball gets pulled away. It was a bad call, and they reviewed it, and they still blew it. Ended up being a difference in the ball game. And, again, Tennessee had a chance late, and the guy was short of the line again. I said that yesterday. He was about a half yard short. The spot wasn't good, but he still didn't make the first down, and then all hell breaks loose. I thought LSU would give him a better game. You know, it's like Ed Orgeron's final kiss goodnight to Ole Miss. They were not up to play. And Ole Miss absolutely dominated this ballgame. And, again, Ole Miss kind of dominating early, kind of overwhelming LSU and getting them out of their game plan, forcing them to throw the football. That won't be an issue for us. And I think that's kind of been the key to these comebacks. It's like you you look at it and say, well, how does this stuff happen? Well, how it happens is because, you know, basically we're running our scheme. When you do it to other people and you make them one-dimensional – they're not comfortable throwing it every play. We are. We're kind of built for that. 
Auburn finally gets a W against them. And Auburn's had a, a, good, a pretty good run against Ole Miss at home. 31-20 winners, and of course, uh, Ole Miss trying to stay in it late. Corral throws a late pick, throws across his body. Pretty bad decision, but the bottom line is I mean, the game was over. The Liberty game, 27-14 winners. I don't know if they just took mercy on Hugh Freeze, but again, that's when they were all kind of beat up and Corral wasn't running as much, so you know, they had a chance. But um, again, second half offense, just not a good deal for them. Uh, they get A&M, which I think is their biggest win of the year. I like this A&M team, and I thought Calzada played poorly. But it took Ole Miss getting a pick six to kind of finally put a nail in the coffin here. Offensively, you couldn't get it done. And then the Vanderbilt game, we talked about that. You know, Vanderbilt, a little more better play and um, yeah, better play call. And it's a, it, it might be a different conversation today. It might be. So looking at these uh, – these numbers here, these like third down conversions are, are awfully interesting. And I think a lot of it is because Lane Kiffin's not scared to go for it on fourth down. I don't know if you guys noticed this, like last weekend, Ole Miss one of eight on third down. One of eight. Five of 16 against A&M. And then, of course, they do convert to one uh, fourth down. Two of nine on third down against Liberty. And then 0 for one on fourth down. But it's like, you look at these numbers, and um, you kind of see there's some issue that's not – like they're not being themselves. And it's like you're not good on third down, and it's like that's the whole thing. you got to – on Ole Miss, you got to beat them on first down and force them to get into these third down situations. You just do. Looking at some numbers, too, earlier in the year, like you look at these average rush yards – you know, they're getting after you. Like against Austin P. of course, it's nearly eight yards a carry. And it's over six against Tulane. And, it, you, again, you can't judge Alabama, right? But 2.2 yards. Arkansas, 6.6. And then you look at the, the more recent games, you know, we're under five yards a carry. And that's against A&M and Vanderbilt. Average yards per pass. We've heard a lot about that about Mississippi State. Ah, uh, you know, we're not throwing the ball on the field. And, and Ole Miss has kind of beat us up with that, too. Earlier in the year, against Louisville, nearly 12 yards. Then it's it's 7.5 against Austin P. It's over 10 against Tulane. Against Alabama, again, you can kind of throw that out. It's, a, it's you know, it's not, it's not even worth discussing. Arkansas, 13.6. Tennessee. It's under six. They did a good job of kind of zoning things up and making Corral run the football. That's when his ankle got hurt. You go to LSU, it's over eight. Auburn, it's over seven. Then it's back up to 12 against Liberty. The last couple weeks, 6.6, 8.9. So depth of target's going down. Third down percentage is going down. Second half scoring's going down. It's just kind of interesting to kind of look at inside these numbers and kind of begin to ask yourself, okay, well, what's, you know, what, what's really going on with all this? And I think a lot of it really goes down to Matt Corral's injury. I think when, when there's not the threat for him to really run, and I expect him to run a lot more against us because, you know, you've got plenty of time to rest for a bowl game. You don't have to really, you know, save yourself. You know, we look at the, uh, you know, red zone scoring too. I mean, you know, they, they have been pretty for proficient in the red zone. Early in the year, it was almost automatic. But around the middle of the year, it got a little different. Auburn, it was uh, eight red zone attempts, four scores. One out of two against Liberty, four out of six against A&M, five out of seven against Vanderbilt. So they're leaving some points on the board, too. They are. 
It's you, you kind of look at this. There have been a couple times, too, they failed to score, and a lot of that's when they've gone for it on fourth down late. And that happened last year, too. And it's like we always say, well, you know, we lost by seven. You know, we did. There were a couple times, too, that Ole Miss probably should have kicked the field goal. And Kiffin decides to go for the juggler. They don't get it. And so, you know, you, you kick the field goal there. That's a two-score game late. And then, the, you know, the late touchdown attempt by, you know, Will Rogers, completely different. It's a different deal. It just is. I think it's important to understand that stuff. I mean, it's like as close as that game was, we say, hey, well, Austin Williams had the fumble. You know, yeah, but they kicked two field goals. The fumble's inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. They could have won the game by more. I guess that's a point that I'm trying to make. They could have won the game by more. I think it's important to understand that and recognize that it is not as simple as, oh, okay, well, it came down to one play. <clears throat> it, could have been, it could have been more plays than that, for sure. Ole Miss, at times, will run some gadget stuff, and in rivalry games, we expect that sort of stuff. You know, I think John Rice Plumley is the, the perfect example of that. They ran so, some gadget stuff with him last week. He's played in 11 games. He hadn't done a whole lot. Uh, they had the little throwback thing to, to, uh, to Matt Corral. It didn't cash it in. But the fact that you're putting that on film and having to dial it up against Vanderbilt is kind of concerning, I think. I think you're trying to generate something in the red zone, trying to finish a drive. But uh, they weren't able to do it So because they, they shifted Corral out to the right. They snap it to, to Plumlee. He throws it to Corral, and then they cover it up, and he has to run for it. So there will be some of that. Go ahead and get ready as sure as I'm sitting here. There'll be a trick play. Ontario Drummond has also thrown a pass this year for 19 yards. How about that? We talk about big plays, and there, there are a lot of them, and a lot of them have came earlier in the year. We talk about, you know, Jerry and Ely, 70 yards on a long run. Snoop Connor, 51. There's some big plays out there. Matt Corral, excuse me, John Rice Plumley, 34. Matt Corral's had one for 33. Henry Parrish, excuse me, 32. Henry Parrish, 33. And so they've got some guys that can take it the distance once they get into the open field. That's the big thing is you got to get these guys kind of slowed down. You can't let them get up and get going, let them get loose in the secondary because, you know, they're going to be running some deeper routes. They're going to push you off there. They're going to try and make you do some things that you're uncomfortable doing. Now, so let's look at the Mississippi State side of this thing. All right, Mississippi State currently seventh in the nation against the run. Seventh. Now, early in the year, people were like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know. No, seventh. We're allowing 95.9 yards per game on the ground. Probably get up a little more this week because Ole Miss is going to be more committed to running the football. And, of course, the weather can play a factor. Kind of running the numbers here, kind of looking at Ole Miss's opponents. The only rush defense close to Mississippi State is Alabama at number five. And you look at the Ole Miss numbers, they struggle to run the football against Alabama, and everybody does. Everybody does. Look a little bit deeper here. Kind of, I'm just kind of running down the, the numbers here, kind of getting a little deeper into these uh, NCAA stats. If we look at these you know, guardy numbers, Auburn, 36 in the nation in rush defense, and they beat Ole Miss. So there's been two defenses, two rush defenses in the top 40 that have played against Ole Miss, and both have beaten Ole Miss both Auburn and Alabama. Ironically, number 43, rush defense, Liberty. They lose 27-14. They did a pretty good job. And again, you say, well, you know, Matt Corral was banged up, and it's true. But the reality of it is they didn't run it very well. Texas A&M, 48th. 48th in the country. 
and rush defense. And I say these things, I point these out because it's like you hear about how good they are running the football, but then you look and say, okay, well, what did they do against teams that kind of specialize in stopping the run? Well, they hadn't done exceptionally well. And I think that's an analysis that you probably need to kind of dig into and, and, and look at yourself. I mean, it's one of those things you can say, well, they're really good at running the football. Well, they've run up a lot of those numbers against some teams that aren't good at, at stopping a run. So let's kind of put that in perspective. Alabama allowed 78 yards rushing to Ole Miss. 78. Auburn allowed 157. Liberty, 142. Vanderbilt, 139. They're not a great rush defense. And so you look and say, well, Steve, where, are the, where do these numbers come from? Well, they come from 336 against Austin P, 372 against Tulane, 324 against Arkansas, 279 against Tennessee, 265 against LSU, and 257 against A&M. So that's really the, the best rushing defense that they've had real success against was A&M. And, again, that's a big win. It was at home, too. And so, again, you get in the numbers here and you start saying, okay, the teams that have been really good at stopping the run – have given Ole Miss a lot of trouble, and they've beaten Ole Miss. And so our numbers would suggest we ought to be able to compete against that running game. That's not to say they're not going to get some runs every now and again, but if you go back and look at the numbers that Mississippi State has put up this year against run, last time I checked, State had held every opponent under their average this year. May have to go back and research that again. But we're a team that, uh, that does our best to kind of take it away. Now, granted, we're going to see some dual-threat stuff from Ole Miss we hadn't seen. You know, Arkansas does some dual-threat stuff. KJ had a pretty good game against us. Not a great game. They won the game, but it wasn't because of him. And you can say, well, you see, they put the last drive together. we got to get a stop there. That's on our lack of execution. But, again, you tip your cap. But the reality of the situation is, is that we have a good chance to stop this running game and make them somewhat one-dimensional. And this is what Mississippi State needs to do on defense. You've got to eliminate the big play and generate some big plays of your own. And that's not necessarily a pick six or turnover. Sometimes you need to get the big lick on the quarterback to get the crowd in the ball game. You need to have that offensive line kind of turning each other and kind of looking palms up like, hey, what happened there? you got to go out there and you got to get after them. You've got to get those emotional plays. You know, that's the thing I think about in these ball games. I remember when we went down there and played, I guess it was in 10, and Deontay Skinner goes down an opening kickoff of Walt Hemingway Stadium and just basically plows somebody's field. And it was like it fired everybody up. And the old, we looked at the Ole Miss sideline, and they were like, oh, my gosh. It's like we talk about in 2015, the Dak senior night deal. And we're all, everybody's over there crying. We look on the field, and there's Trey Elston mocking all the players for crying. And I thought to myself, we might be in trouble. And we were. We were. So we've got to go out there and kind of get some intensity going. You've got, you got to get some big plays going, some emotional plays, especially when you're at home. You've got to be able to generate some juice. And so if you can limit the run, put them in some obvious third down plays, and then get a big sack, maybe a turnover, you can feel pretty good about life. But, again, I think this is where this game is won or lost. I think Mississippi State's run defense is good enough to give Ole Miss some real problems. That's not to say that Ole Miss isn't going to have some opportunities to make some plays. I think it's important to kind of understand this is going to be a very competitive ball game uh, for much of the game. I do think State pulls away in the fourth, and we'll talk more about that uh, tomorrow when we talk about Bulldog offense against the, Mississippi, the Ole Miss defense. 
Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. It feels like we just sat down and started talking together, right? Portico is a great residential development, very near campus, 1.1 miles away. That's, all, that's how close it is. You could run to campus. If you're a runner, it'd be great. You could go do your long runs on the Mississippi State campus. How cool is that? I used to do that regularly. Park downtown, run down University Drive, make that loop around Davis Wade Stadium, go back through downtown. It was a lot of fun. Sometimes I'd even go up there and run by the president's home and everything. It was great. But maybe you're not a runner. Maybe you just want to be closer to the action. And the cool thing is about Portico is it's on the best side of campus. It's the quiet side. It's not the commercial side. It's the residential side of campus. You take that turn on 12 off 82, the very first ride is Pat Station Road. That's how close you, you've been by that road so many times you didn't know where it was going. It's going to your new home. You pass over old West Point Road, Boomer's Portico. Now, here's the deal. If you want to move right now, we're not going to be able to take care of you because it's such a popular destination. Phase one is completely sold out. Phase two, under construction now, and here's the thing. You can have a say in what your home looks like. You can pick out some floor plans, pick out your lot, and you, you deserve to be able to do that at least one time in your life. Because how many times do you move into a place and you're like, well, I like everything but this. One day we need to remodel this, and then you never do. You just kind of learn to live with it, but you're never fully happy with it. That's the thing. You don't have to deal with that. You can make Portico the best place to be. If I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico because I would like to be closer to campus. I really would. I'd like to be close to campus because there's a lot of nights, you know, I got to drive back out here to the sticks, man. Let us think, you know what, how great would it be if I just, you know, 1.1 miles from campus, man, I could even walk sometimes if I wanted to. That's how close it is. And you're right there by that neighborhood market. It's very, very convenient. A lot of things are going on. You know, we're going to have some new restaurants in town, that sort of stuff. Um, But the reality of it is Starkville is growing. You need to be a part of that. Move to Starkville and uh, come be with us and enjoy all the great things that uh, Starkville has to offer. The guy that can answer all your questions is the guy that is near and dear to your heart. It's Brooks Bryan. Brooks is a wonderful guy. Played baseball here at State. You may have heard me talk about it. Robbed a home run against Washington to send us to Omaha. To show your gratitude for that, Give him a call or a text and say, hey, Brooks, I'm thinking about moving to Starkville. He can tell you what Portico could do for you. 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, so I said we wanted to kind of highlight some great wins in the rivalry. I remember one that was I felt really confident about. And I don't know why I felt confident about it. I think I just, you know, I just wanted it so bad because it was the Rose Bowl year when I wrote that article that everybody started calling me Rose Bowl for. I didn't say we were going to win an Apple championship. I didn't say that. So we were a dark horse because the SEC champion usually made the BCS, right? So I'm not going to sit here and defend it, but the bottom line was it had been a long, frustrating year for us. I don't know if you guys remember that. Maybe you blocked it from your memory. I tried to, but it was one of the more miserable seasons in my life. Not just because I expected State to do well. We, we were preseason top 15. People forget that. They're like, it was just me. We were preseason top 15. Didn't work out for us, though. We, oh, and here we, are, here we are. In this particular poll, we opened a season number 19, and we beat Memphis. We rise to number 17, and this is, of course, we had 9-11, right? We were the first team to play after 9-11. We played... South Carolina at our place, a battle of top 20 teams. 
we get beat 16-14. I remember the uh, what's the kid's name Pinhook on the fourth down play. We we you know we we commit. They block us up. He goes for a touchdown, and it's like we never recovered. We go to Florida the next year. We'd beaten them at our place. We go to Florida, and then Steve Spurrier beats us 52 to nothing. And I remember Demetric Wright probably sees the Gator Chomp in his dreams. They killed us. We go to Auburn, and we lose 16-14. So it's like you look at this, and it's like, you know, we probably should have been 3-1. and one. I mean, obviously, we weren't going to be able to compete with Florida. And you start thinking, you know, we're, we're close. Well, then next thing you know, we lose to Troy at our place, 21-9. to And then there was no longer any feelings of being close. We feel like we were in free-for-all. Free and then LSU came in here and beat us 42 to nothing. So now we're 1-5. Miserable, man. We get Kentucky and we beat those guys. And how bad did they have to be? We beat them 17-14. We go to Alabama and actually put those guys pretty close. They beat us 24 to 17. Jackie always found a way to play Bama close. We just just did. We go to Arkansas the next week and it's 24-21 and you feel like okay, maybe we figured some things out. We're not able to finish games, but we're getting better. You beat Kentucky, you lose by one possession to at Alabama and at Arkansas. And you had Ole Miss coming to town. Now, that Ole Miss wasn't the final game of the year that year either because the, the December 11th game got moved to the end of the year with played BYU and had probably the worst officiating job that these guys have ever seen. We got cheated in that ball game. I don't care anybody says. And I loved it the next week when Timmy Chang and, and Hawaii destroyed BYU and kept them out of all that good stuff. So the Ole Miss game, it's uh, Eli Manning comes to town. It's Eli's sophomore year. Ole Miss is feeling great about life. And they had to come to Starkville. So in many respects, it was like our bowl game. You know, it's like, you know what? Maybe we can salvage something from this season in this game. We didn't get off to a great start. Joe Gunn gets a one-yard run early in the ball game, makes it 7-0 Ole Miss. We counter and come right back. Dante Walker scores from one yard out. John Michael Marlin finish, misses the extra point, so it's a 7-6 game. So we're chasing that one stinking point, right, all night. That's what we're thinking. Ole Miss drives back down the field early in the second quarter, and Charles Stackhouse catches a swing pass from Eli Manning. Charles Stackhouse, a really good player at Ole Miss, and played the NFL for a while as a fullback. It was a different game back then. Very athletic, bigger guy. Now it's 14-6, and we were kind of getting nervous, right? Well, Kevin Fant finds DeCenzo for 11 yards, and um, we score, and we go for two and don't get it. So here we are again. We're chasing. It was down. We're down 14-12, but because we missed that extra point early in the ball game, we go for two to try to get even. And we're st- so we scored twice, and we're still at a deficit in the game. Ole Miss scores right before the half. Joe Gunn with a one-yard run, with under a minute to go. Their extra point is good. It's 21-12. So at the break, we're down nine. We're down two possessions. You know, against a future first-round draft pick. And it felt like we were in trouble. Like, you know, here we go. You know, here we go. We're not going to have anything to feel good about this year. And it was a miserable year. It was. You, I mean, you heard me read those scores out. And, again, we're preseason top 20, top 15 in some polls. And we're getting killed. Absolutely killed. All right. So, John Michael Marlin redeems himself with a 32-yard field goal to open the scoring in the second half. Now it's a 21-15 game. 
Dante Walker then scores an eight-yard run. We get an interception. Dante Walker gets a one-yard run. Now it's 29-21 Mississippi State. Ray Ray Bivens then scores on kind of a wildcat formation thing, makes it 36-21 with just under five minutes, to, or right at five minutes to play. And at this point, we knew the game was over. Eli Manning added a late touchdown pass to Ross Barkley uh, for 19 yards, and they kick it in 36-28. Now, what's interesting, too, when you go back and look at this stuff, too, we really gave Eli some trouble. That's the thing, too. People say, well, you know, no. no. He was 16 of 36 for 213 yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. We destroyed Eli Manning that night. We never got a single sack, but I remember reading some numbers. I think we hit him seven times in the ballgame. Seven. And it was one time he got absolutely creamed trying to go make a tackle on an interception because he was frustrated. Kevin Fant, 14-21 for 263 yards and a score. Long of 50. Sack just the one time. Joe Gunn, who was thought to be the uh, you know the heir apparent to Deuce McAllister. Uh, Gunn, 86 yards rushing and a couple touchdowns. Uh, the offensive star for them on that night. DeCenzo Miller told me after the ball game there was no way we weren't getting that egg. DeCenzo goes for 121, 121 yards. Dante Walker, three touchdowns in the ball game. Ray Ray Bivens also uh, with the, the rushing touchdown, as we discussed. Uh, Justin Jenkins, future NFL or Justin Jenkins, seven grabs for 116 yards. And DeCenzo, of course, uh, the one touchdown pass. Now, Here's the thing that I think people forget. We talk about those picks. Demetric Wright, former South Panola. And I believe Demetric's actually passed away. I mentioned him earlier in the show. I think he has actually passed away. Uh, Demetric had a pick. Former Ole Miss commitment, Demetric Wright, with a pick. And then Corey Banks. He was the guy that they kind of billed to us as the next Fred Smoot. He never lived up to that billing. But he has a couple of picks. And so we still talk about him because of that reason. In a miserable season, he had a big ball game and a game that mattered to us the most. Your leading tackler that night, Mario Hagan, future NFL guy, 11 tackles. Josh Morgan, nine. And here's in that blast from the past that people haven't heard in a long time. How about T.J. Mawinney, nine tackles. A lot of people build him as the next Daniel Boyd. Didn't quite work out as well. And Demetri Wright, eight tackles in the night too. So we, we had a good ball game. And then the next week, of course, we um, – Lose to BYU, but um, this was a highlight for us. And I remember there was a guy named Hell State on Gene's page. And if you're still alive, sir, I want you to let you know that I salute you for your service. Every day, every morning on Gene's page, without fail, he posted 36-28, thanks, Jackie. Because that was the only thing we could feel good about that year. It's like as bad as it was, we had this season of unfulfilled expectations. But we beat Ole Miss. And, you know, here's the kicker, guys. And this is the thing that I think people probably probably don't fully appreciate. That because of the fact that we won that game, we kept Ole Miss out of the bowl game. We were the spoilers. Like, you know, we had a miserable year. And even though your golden boy was there, you didn't go to a bowl game either. So that was our satisfaction is that we could, we could hurt those guys. They went out and beat Vanderbilt the next week, but um, found up wound up out of the bowl picture, even with a 7-4 and four record, Ole Miss stayed home that year. Very interesting. And a good year for Eli Manning, not a great one, a good one. And if I'm not mistaken, he won the Connolly Trophy that year. 
I'm 99% positive of that. He wins the Connolly Trophy. So, well, listen, there's your show. Listen, if you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You can pre-order Dogpile. I still don't have an update, and I'm told we're not going to get one this week because of the holidays. So we hopefully will have an update Monday or Tuesday of next week. I'm hopeful we get them before Christmas. I'm, I'm, I can't sit here and tell you at this point I'm expecting it. I, I, don't, I don't just know what to tell you yet. I know that we'll have them sooner rather than later. And so you're going to have those books, but uh, I'm going to see what we can get done for you next week. I, and, again, I'm, I'm kind of powerless in this situation. I, there's nobody more frustrated about this than me, I can promise you, because I get multiple messages every single day. And, and again, I, I don't mind getting them. It, nobody bothers me. They're just wanting to know. And that's part of, uh, you know, part of the, the relationship that we have. You come to me, you want answers, I give them to you. And so, and trust me, as soon as we have an update, we'll email it out to everybody, and I'll push it out on social media. Uh, you know, kind of once we know for sure. But in the meantime, you can get Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and Flim Flim. Get those signed and personalized if you'd like. And if this is Rivalry Week. It's Egg Bowl Week. You probably need to learn the history of Mississippi State's rivalry with Ole Miss. And, and I, I detail all that out in Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs. Be sure and check them out. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, and, we, and again, it's going to be back on the bestseller list again this week after a one-week hiatus. It's amazing. And thank you guys so much. I, I really put a lot of myself into that book. And the reception has been great. It's been mostly female readers. I know many of you guys are not poetry guys. I get it. But you could buy it for your wife for Christmas. How about that? Thanks so much for your support. As always, uh, StarkVillains.com to get your Stark Villains gear. And you should be a JeansPage.com subscriber. If you're not, be looking for our Black Friday special. Look for that. It's a little teaser there. Look for the Black Friday special on JeansPage.com. Be ready for that. Hopefully we're celebrating an Egg Bowl victory, and you may want to take advantage of that. That's going to do it for today. I'll be back tomorrow night. You know, we'll do – so this is your Tuesday show, and I've got it up for you just after midnight because I love you and I want you to have nice things. We'll do the same thing tomorrow uh, as long as things go to plan, and we'll talk a little – we'll kind of talk about defense, and we'll uh, kind of preview uh, those midweek games. You know, we have game Thursday and Friday here in the SEC – and, uh, again, it's basically you know, we're talking rivalry. And uh, the reality of this thing is this is an important ball game for both teams. We're going to get their best shot. If anybody thinks that Ole Miss is just going to stumble in here and go through the motions, you're kidding yourself. They're going to come in here and try to blow us out, and we're going to try to return the favor. We're going to do everything we can uh, to put as many points on the, on the football scoreboard as we possibly can. That's going to do it for today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.